Welcome to Afternoon Light, the podcast of the Robert Menzies Institute at the University of Melbourne. I'm Georgina Downer and I'm the host of Afternoon Light and the CEO of the Robert Menzies Institute. The Institute is a Prime Ministerial Library and Museum devoted to upholding the legacy and vision of Sir Robert Menzies, Australia's longest serving Prime Minister. On Afternoon Light, we explore contemporary issues relevant to Sir Robert's life and legacy with leading thinkers from around the world. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, and on today's episode of the Afternoon Light podcast, I'm talking to Paul Morrissey, who's the president of Campion College, Australia's first liberal arts college. And Paul lectures in theology there when he's not busy being the president. He has also completed a doctorate at the Catholic Institute in Sydney and or a licentiate in sacred theology at the Lateran University in Rome, which I understand is the Pope's University, Paul. So it must have been a fantastic experience, although I understand you didn't spend much time in Rome, which is a bit disappointing. (laughs) That's correct, uh, Georgina. It's great to be with you and to join you in the podcast. Yeah, so the Lateran is the Pope's University because the Lateran Basilica is the Pope's Church in Rome. That's... uh, it's a, a common misunderstanding. I think the Pope's Church is St. Peter's Basilica, but in fact it's the Lateran Basilica in Rome, and there's a university attached to that, it's the Pope's University. And I did a licentiate, which is an ecclesiastical degree, equivalent to our master's degree, right. I should say, yeah. with some more stringent requirements around language, and, and you do have to do a public defence, public lectures, those sort of things, differentiated, but it was a great experience to, to complete that degree. You're, you're absolutely correct. Oh, it, it would have been. And, and not too many people, I think, in Australia would have had that experience. So um, it set, sets you apart. Fascinating. Yes, yeah, certainly certainly non-clerics. So as a layman, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's quite a number of priests have done it. Yeah. Um, Paul, today our conversation is about a liberal education and something that Robert Menzies was really passionate about and devoted a lot of his career as a state MP and then a federal member of parliament and, of course, prime minister for 18 years. He devoted a lot of his career to the um, expansion of universities in Australia and also the expansion of tertiary opportunities for Australian students because of his belief in the the good of a liberal education. So as the president of Australia's first liberal arts college, I, I would love to know more about Campion College um, itself, um, what it does and how it, how it fits into this sort of concept of a, of a liberal education. Excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to, to speak about what we do here at Campion because it is very, very unique in Australia. Yeah. And- Absolutely. As you as you said, it's a first of its kind in Australia. There's certainly other institutions now, and and um, which are having liberal arts degrees, and and certainly the Ramsey degrees, which uh, have appeared in three universities, are offering sort of similar types of degrees. And other smaller institutions have have developed some liberal. The first and still only devoted, you know, singularly devoted to liberal arts education and. And so it's modelled a, a lot on the classical idea of a liberal arts education, which is a very integrated degree. And as a modern liberal arts institute, we tend to focus more on the humanities. Yeah. So maybe we'll get into a bit more about sort of the liberal arts in a, in a broader sense and historically. But, but we tend to focus on the humanities, although 
in our third year of our BA program, students do compulsory science as well to give that broad base. So, so a liberal arts education is broad, deliberately broad, but that doesn't mean it lacks depth because in the, in the sense that it's broad, it tries to, to go deeper into the, particularly in terms of the Western tradition, the great ideas, the great writings and so on of the Western tradition. The other thing that characterises Campion, which is very different to, to um, Australian and most, most contemporary universities, is that we do have a, a very much an integrated curriculum so our core curriculum uh, lasts for two years. So every student for those first two years of their three-year program uh, studies the same units. So in, in, in the broad areas of history, literature, philosophy uh, and theology. And the reason behind that is because each discipline informs the other. And to be a good historian of the ancient world, you really need to know the philosophy, you need to know the literature, you need to know their ideas about religion. And certainly with all the other disciplines. And we take that through the period up to the modern age. And so that's why you know, a student, after they completed the degree here at Campion, knows really in, in great depth um, you know, the Western tradition in, in all its, its glory, but also, also all the warts and all, basically, of the, of the West um, historically. But certainly the great works, the great ideas, the great debates and so on. Um, is what we what we attempt to study here. The only other thing to add that we offer at Campion is a is the classics. So sitting alongside that, some students will take on, you know, ancient Greek and ancient Latin in the, in our classics program. So um, so we offer, as I said, a broad based Bachelor of Arts and a Liberal Arts degree, um, the, the first and, and still probably the only of its kind in that sense. Oh, it sounds fantastic. I think uh, I could do with a couple of, well, three years, is it? <laughs> sounds yeah, three like years. A, you, could like do the, you could do the first year diploma if you only want. Oh, I might, might look into um, that yeah, in my so spare time. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And how many students do you have, Paul, doing this? So we've got about 160 students. Yeah. So what the, the, the idea of this, the college, very much based on the uh, sort of the renaissance of liberal arts colleges that, that happened in the United States. So... The US is, is, you know, like in so many different things, it has the, the best and the worst, it's eclectic, it's diverse, and so it's higher education is like that. Yeah. You've got the prestigious and you've got the basic, you've got the very best and the very worst. It's not as, uh, it's, it's not as scrutinised, it's not as, um, you know, it's not as regulated, certainly as the Australian higher education scene. And so, you know, there's a lot of these smaller liberal arts colleges, some very old and some quite new, that are mostly residential, so that's like us, we're residential, so students live on campus, and are deliberately and intentionally, um, you know, a, a community of learning. So not not big, but really intentional of really knowing each student and, 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 and sort of, I guess, that more traditional idea of, you know, living on campus, living in a college, and, you know, the Oxford-Cambridge idea of living in a college where you you, you know all the academics, the academics can follow you and so on. So that's that's the model we're, we're based on rather than the bigger universities that, that are just sort of have a monopoly in Australia. Oh, it's, it sounds like a, a very unique experience for Australian students to live on campus. It's almost unheard of except for a very, very select few at, at universities across Australia and, and that idea that the professors and academics would know you... <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> and you would know every other student in the in the classroom is it, it's very different from the experience I had here at at Melbourne University. Um, I must say, not that it was a bad experience here; it was great fun, but um, quite a different one. Paul, um, uh, so thank you for describing Camhean College and and where it fits in the the sort of tertiary education experience here in Australia. You've started to paint a bit of a picture of this, but what is the purpose of a of a liberal arts education? Um, and and I, I guess I want to link this back to Robert Menzies and his view of a liberal education as um, the the sort of education someone should get to become a, a good citizen, a, a citizen in a in a rich liberal democracy who can contribute not just to their own vocation, but but contribute to. The, the the political discourse to to public life and and enrich society and and potentially be a leader in society. Yeah, so you know Menzies is absolutely spot on that the role of a liberal education is certainly that, and in some ways I think he's harking back to the to the first uh, liberal educators, namely the ancient Greeks, who yeah. you know had this idea of paideia, which was this sense of okay, education is really about educating the whole person and that um, an education in, you know, an educated person, which was the goal of education, was physical, but it, it was intellectual, but it was also moral. It had a, had a moral dimension as well, that they would be the citizenry of the polis that would result in a flourishing society. And so this this vision of education really is the seedbed of the Western ideal of education all the way through. I mean, it obviously has some transformation. We have the, the marriage of the Greeks with the Romans and then obviously with with um, Judaism and Christianity, Athens and Jerusalem and the, and the explosion that that means in terms of fruitfulness of the West. But, but I think Menzies is spot on. So the purpose of this liberal education I think is twofold. So I think Menzies is a bit more practical, so saying... You know, a liberal education is to form a person, you know, a good person for the society. So the end is in some ways the the society, the good of society, and that's mm. very good. And there's probably even a, a deeper sense, and this probably comes about when when the, the Greek idea of paideia is married to the Jewish and Christian more talos, you know, the, the end that's in God, is to say that, you know, a liberal education is in some way an end in and of itself, that it doesn't have a sort of utility. Well, it does have a utility, but that's not the main reason. The main reason is something greater than even that, that to be a liberally educated person is a good in and of itself. It's about the the wisdom of God, the divine wisdom of learning about yourself um, in the deepest possible sense. So I guess there's that twofold aspect of the purpose of of a liberal education. I mean, our motto here at Campion is education for eternity. So that's a I guess, deeper sense of uh, the talos of education being you know, far greater than any sort of earthly utility, but at the same time, obviously, there's an earthly utility. So a good, a good citizen is someone who is educated in, in freedom, is educated in the idea of what a good human life looks like, is educated in the basics of what it means to be a good citizen and therefore can really participate in you know, in a democracy, and that's obviously useful and um, and a good thing. So I guess that's a twofold thing. And even for us here at Camping, we've always got to explain in a very practical way, you know, all those students and prospective students, 
parents who think, well, what's the point of doing something like this? Yeah. Is it going to get me a job? Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, even on a practical level, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, will it pay the bills? Yeah. And it's sometimes a hard question to, to, to answer in the sense that, you know, we're so conditioned by the idea that, you know, you go to uni and it's a ticket to a particular career. So it's very vocational, very utilitarian. Yeah. Whereas a liberal education is far more broad, far more sort of idealistic, but at the same time extraordinarily practical. And, um, you know, we always give the, the quote from Steve Jobs, when, you know, when he was talking about the creation of the iPad and he said that he only employs liberal arts graduates to come up with these ideas because if he employed the sort of computer engineers only, they'd just do, you know, they'd just be in these narrow boxes. They wouldn't think outside the square. So I think a liberal education is practical in that sense. It can put, put a variety of things together that wouldn't necessarily go together. Not to be against specialisation, but sometimes a broad-minded individual can bring the disparity into a into a unitary whole. And and actually, I think in this day and age, there's probably never been a more call for people to be so broad-minded and to be able to be dynamic in their thinking. And uh, I, I like your Steve Jobs analogy there. We I have a quote here from Steve Jobs uh, along those lines. He said, it is in Apple's DNA that technology alone is not enough. It's technology married with liberal arts, married with the humanities that yields us the results that make our hearts sing. And for a yes. technology entre- entrepreneur, it, it, you know, you wouldn't expect yeah. that. That's uh, that's fabulous, sort of blue sky thinking. Yeah, and, no, I and, uh, and I think you're, you're spot on. I think today more than, we always say more than ever, but I think it's very true because whenever there's a sort of big problem, so just even to talk about the pandemic, for example, there was, uh, I think there was a real need for, for more people to think more broadly and to think of, okay, there's this, there's a pandemic, which is a real health issue. Yeah. And, but it was sort of crying out for people to be able to put things together to say, okay, if we're going to come up with a solution on how public policy is going to be looked at in this, in, in light of the pandemic, we need, we need people with a, with a, a vision of society, of the human person, of the polis. That's more broad than, okay, let's try to prevent as much death as possible or let's try to eradicate this disease yeah. at whatever cost. Yeah. It just it needs that, and I think every issue is like that, really. and every corporation is like that. It needs people to be able to say, "Oh, have you considered this, or have you considered the past? Let's look at the past, you know, mm. to educate us for the now and the future." Mm. Mm. And pandemic's a good example. It, you know, in the end, you know, we all became very familiar with epidemiologists and all the sort of forecasts and the the, fig- the figures that were. Mm you know, relayed every day, how many tests, how many cases, how many deaths, how many hospitalizations, how many in ICU. Um, but life is more than numbers and that's where being able to think laterally and drawing on other experiences beyond your narrow field of expertise, for example, uh, it comes up with innovative solutions and, you know, do, yes, we can prevent a death or prevent uh, a lot of cases, but how does that flow through to other aspects of society? And I think, well, we can, we've, we're sort of two and, two and a bit years into it now, aren't we? So we can look back with hindsight and all be very terribly wise, but in the thick of the moment, having people step back and say, you know, well, there's more to life than preventing preventing catastrophe sometimes life needs to be lived and experiences through hardship aren't necessarily 
always catastrophic. Um, but anyway, uh, I hope those yeah. conversations can take place um, at Campion and beyond and beyond. Um, yes. Paul, you talked about um, the ancient Greek origins of liberal education and then through to Christian and Jewish history. And I, I wondered if we could pick that apart a bit more and, and explore how this liberal education evolved from the era of classical antiquity through to you know, the medieval world and, and then, of course, the now to this day in Australia, in, in America with the liberal arts colleges and, and even in Europe. Uh, was it... Um, it was no doubt uh, full of uh, di- the difficulties that you experience throughout history, but but um, is a it's a fascinating history, isn't it? It is. I mean, the history of uh, is where you were talking the Western tradition of education, and it is a complex history. And obviously, like anything, you can't just look at education on its own, but it's no. affected by all other events. But just to to, to give an idea, I suppose of the liberal edu- education tradition, as I said, the Greeks were sort of the main proponents and obviously with the Romans. Basically, the Hellenised world was very sort of clear on its idea of education and uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and really laid the roots of uh, Western education with this idea of idea and, and the education of that whole person. And um, this in some ways clashed, but it, was a, it wasn't always smooth, but it ended up really being a marriage between Hellenism and Judaism and Christianity mm. that led to the flourishing of... Um, you know, West, Western civilization is what we'd call in, in Europe and then as Europe expanded uh, throughout the world. And, and, that, and that link with religion, well, Christianity particularly for, yeah. for um, obviously the, the Western world, the, you know, the importance of monasteries and, um, and, the, and these were people who were utterly devoted to, to study their entire lives. That, yeah. was, that was it. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and Yeah, and the monasteries really preserved... That tradition, that the Hellenized tradition and the uh, Judeo-Christian tradition, for the really the the flourishing in the Middle Ages of what we and the beginning really of universities in the Middle Ages, which were liberal arts universities. They they um, they had the uh, you know the seven liberal arts, the classical ones of you know the Greeks of um, the trivium of grammar and logic and the dialectic and then then rhetoric sort of the foundational base of language, the, the ability to dialogue and think through things and then the ability to speak, which was the crowning glory for the Greeks of AD. It was this citizen who could, you know, you know in, a, in a sense strut on the stage yeah, and art be of virtuous rhetoric. and everyone yeah. would respect the art of rhetoric. <laughs> yeah. So this was always at the heart of Western education and uh, and remained so in the in the medieval universities and the quadrivium um, of the really of the mathematics, astrology and music and 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 um, and astronomy. So the, these um, these were sort of formulated as the seven liberal arts, but it was more than that. And certainly in the in the as the universities developed in the Middle Ages, we see philosophy and theology as sort of the the crowns of the university. So obviously, a lot of the ones who went to the universities were were clerics. Not all, but a lot were. And philosophy and theology was sort of the the, the uh, those things that were studied after the seven liberal arts were, were mastered, and they, and in a sense they brought the 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 whole academic enterprise into a whole. 
but there was a real flourishing of, of the intellectual life in the medieval universities. And often it's caricatured, you know, the medieval, middle ages were sort of backward. And, but it, it, it was really a renaissance. I mean, you just look at the art and the architecture and the, and the, and the learning that was happening. Scientific learning, philosophic learning, not just theologizing. It's the, the caricature doesn't doesn't hold up. And then as Western, you know, as the Western world develops, obviously you have further sort of flashpoints with the Reformation and the, uh, sorry, the, well, the Renaissance first, but then the Reformation and the age of the Enlightenment, which sees a, a change really in Western education, which is becomes more, I guess, more pragmatic, a bit more uh, the Enlightenment, you know, upholding reason. There's, a, there's now a divorce between, one could simplistically say, Athens and Jerusalem and uh, so that faith is sort of pushed to the side in education, doesn't in the universities that science is upheld as the principal force of knowledge. And what I would see, some, some would differ, but I would see as one of the problems of the Enlightenment would have been that we do get this, the beginning really of a more hyper-specialisation, more rationalistic approach to education. Uh, it's not to say li- the idea of a liberal education sort of disappeared, but there was this sort of tension between a more sort of rationalistic, scientific, research-based approach to education and this sort of more liberal and, and, uh, case. And was that, Paul, because of the the trends, in, the sort of philosophical trends at the time in the Enlightenment, a sort of emphasis on, you know, a more uh, of a absolutely. utilitarian outlook of life and, yeah. Yeah, certainly it comes from that. And, and it really, really was this sort of divorce between, between faith. I mean, it's the Cartesian, Descartes' revolution really, in philosophy, which is... Uh, the seed for the uh, the Enlightenment turning point, which yeah, Enlightenment brings about many you know, wonderful things, but this is a it was an epochal change really in the West, the Enlightenment in terms of that. And funny, and interestingly, the Enlightenment is sort of in some ways caused by Christianity, caused by the Judeo-Christian outlook, and in a sense, the Enlightenment separates itself from Christianity just naturally because of the it's it's not most of the great Enlightenment thinkers were very devout Christians, but it was this sort of sense that, okay, I'm a devout Christian over here, but I'm a thinker over here, and it sort of divorces the two, and this is a, this is a big change in the, in the West. And that, and that sort of and, starts uh, to plant the seeds of secularism in, in society, in Western society at least. That, you know, absolutely. Grown, yeah, and grown so since then. Great political yeah. revolutions. Mm. Yeah, so there's big changes, and, and so, yeah. For, for you know, for good and for bad and, and everything in between, um, this is what happens. But in education, this is obviously a big effect. And so even even your Christian schooling and your Christian universities will become more specialised and, and you'll have your theology faculty over there and then your your, your science faculty over there and they never the twain shall meet. They no. won't sort of speak to each other anymore. So it's, it is a, a fragmentation that occurs and I would say that just to sort of fast forward a bit, so, you know, in terms of our the universities that develop and the, and the educational systems that develop um, tend to be more sort of progressive in, in that sense. They tend to be more utilitarian, more focused on reason and rationalism um, to the detriment of sort of the more romantic idea of education, more poetic idea, more artistic idea. They always remain in tension, so there's always they're both there. But I'd say certainly in the West that the former trumps the, the latter, that the that the reason sort of trumps the poetic. Um, and um, and I, I think we 
we live in that situation in Australia. I mean, the, the bigger universities are certainly more based on this, I guess, the German model, the big research model universities, and are, and are far removed from a sort of strict, you know, or more focused on a classical liberal education, formation of the person and, and a good citizen. It's more, you know, let's, let's, let's know things to make the world better. That's how we'll make the world better if we know a lot more about things. Yeah, and and so to Australia, Paul, you know, we we started out in our in our modern history as a as a British colony, and uh, and a, our universities developed in that nineteenth century environment. But they always started off as much more vo- vocational as the, than their their British brothers and sisters, didn't yeah. they? Um, we yeah. we've never really had in Australia until Campion <laughs> um, that kind of liberal. <laughs> You know, liberal arts tradition, the liberal sort of education tradition. We started off quite quite differently, obviously, because we we're a much newer in terms of our yeah. our, um, yeah. our Western culture in Australia. We're we're a much newer newer country. Can you talk about how tertiary education evolved in Australia, particularly as it as it relates to to liberal liberal arts? Yeah, so you, you're spot on. So Australia's um, education system has been. More, more practical, I guess. More, more research focused. More, okay. Let's 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 um, you know, educational system is there to make this country better, and um, we need an educated citizenry to make this country better. All very noble things, but yeah, probably a far cry from your more traditional uh, idea of higher education. But I think we've become further and further removed from that over time. Which is, you know, basically following the Western world in many senses. But having said that, you know, you, the bigger, you know, those original universities, although they were perhaps more focused on the more pragmatic in some ways, uh, they always had their, you know, their arts faculties. You know, their arts faculties were really liberal arts degrees, um, and and very strong classics departments and so on. And so that was always there. It was always yes. still there. It was just probably wasn't, you know, the raison d'etre the, the, of the institution, but they were always there and a very powerful and important aspect of the university life. And I would think really right up until, you know, the last few decades that was the case. Yes. But I think really from probably from the expansion of the universities and, you know, the Dawkins reforms and so on, I think that's where we've seen, you know, even that tradition that held pretty strong has sort of dissipated somewhat. So it's very, you know, your classics, it's still around, but they're very small in, in comparison to the rest of the university. Your arts faculties are getting smaller and smaller. The basic thinking is, you know, your arts degrees are useless. Mm. Uh, you know, let's reduce that more and more. Um, so that that's happened more and more in, in all our universities, really. That's the, been the trend of these last decades, which is, you know, a, a real shame. Um, but it's true, but our universities have never really had that specific focus of just a, a liberal education. but um, So, you know, I think the current state of higher education in Australia, I think there is a bit of pushback on that. And, um, you know, it's it's nice to see that happen. Even Melbourne University, um, where you're based there, is, um, you know, there was that idea, okay, we want students at an undergrad level to have a more general degree before the they specialise. Yeah, the yeah, the Melbourne model, which is really a liberal arts it is. model in, mm. in many respects. So so it was great to see that. I think we're seeing that more and more. You know, most most of our um, doctors who graduate now have got another degree before they go and do a 
do post-grad medicine. And I think that's a good thing. You know, that's, uh, to have a more grounded, more rounded doctor is, is, is far better than a specialised one specialising. And when they're 17 or 18 into medicine and then, you know, leaving and not knowing a lot necessarily about human life or as other aspects. Professions like medicine, which deal with you know, fundamental questions of life and death and, and, de- mm. and obviously doctors interact with people at some of their most vulnerable moments, having that grounded um, background, that sort of understanding of the big, you know, having at least thought through some of the big questions of life and this world and, and, and our culture and our way of governing and the way our society functions and how we all interact with each other. I think that that's, can only be a good thing. Um, and um, I, I, I think the Melbourne model was a great idea. I'm sorry it wasn't here when I was at university. There's a sort of a sense, isn't there, that... Um, People should rush through their education and get on into the workforce. And of course, there's a an, you know, financial incentive for that to occur because educating yourself is really expensive, and not working and just being a student is almost impossible for most people. So uh, I don't. I mean, I'm not unsympathetic to that point of view, and you know, it's it's, an, it's just essential for so many people. But that seems a shame too because you you're only young once and it's a great time before you've had kids and, you know, you have serious financial obligations ahead of you to, it's a great time to, to delve into some of the big questions in life. And don't you think, Paul, too, as, you know, as society changes, there's, you know, particularly I think with mental health as a, as a, and issues around mental health, there's so much more part of our vernacular now. We're becoming more and more accepting that, that this is a sort of a part of the condition of life as we face challenges and that you, know, you can sometimes have a mental health issue that's just, you know, that's normal. We shouldn't stigmatise that. But um, having that liberal education behind you surely is helpful in, in asking some of the deeper questions about why are we here, what is our purpose, what is our duty to community, to society and questions of faith too that, that a lot of people shy away from. Um, but but you know, for those who have faith, that gives them great meaning. It doesn't mean we all have to be believers of, of a religion, but, but to have at least thought through those issues surely can, can only be a good activity to have engaged in. <laughs> Yeah, and absolutely crucial. And I think uh, some ways our education system fails us in, in that, in many respects, to, to ask those deeper questions. So, you know, obviously we're talking more of, the, 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 I suppose, higher education, tertiary, but sure. I think it really goes back into the into your schooling system that, there's, you know, we, we have a very much a, a system that's driven by results and, a, you know, a, a year 12 exam system, which, you know, to be frank, is sort of an appalling way to to look at education in a broad sense. I'm speaking as, a, as someone who likes liberal education. I mean, it's so far removed from that. And I think there is a, you know, with setting our young people, is absolutely driven and driven, and they haven't even asked the question, you know, who am I? You know, yeah. What am I doing here? Is, why is there something, not nothing? Um, you know, these are big, deep questions that I think we, we, we need to ask because it's part of who we are as humans. I mean, one of our heroes, and hero of all, Sort of liberal educators is is Aristotle, and he was a really a psychologist. A, a um, you know he knew the human psyche, the soul, and uh, and studied it. And he knew that every single act we do as a human, we do. What is our motivation to be happy? 
That's why we do things. Mm. And if we don't ask the deep questions about why I'm driven to be happy, what makes me deeply happy? What makes me deeply fulfilled? And the human person, it's incredible how science and social science shows that, you know, we may think that money will make me happy, but, you know, it's been shown <laughs> that it actually won't ultimately make yeah, you Yeah, I mean, there are It'll help actual... you achieve certain things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's the, all these the studies out there. Most like unhappy people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people have recent. the most money. You know, they just yeah. they die unhappy. You know. So these are the questions that I think education, you know, in a deep sense. Obviously, you need to know about other things or practical things. But in a deep sense, I think these are questions that need to be asked. And how do you ask them? Really, you you ask them by looking at. You know, you don't just sort of say, "Okay, let let me think about that myself now." You mm. you look it back. Okay, well, what did Aristotle have to say about that? Plato or you know, you know, the great thinkers, you know, what does Christ have to say about this? What does, you know, Augustine have to say about it? You know, you can, and when you're grappling with those and agreeing or disagreeing with them, that's where you can really come in. I completely agree with you on this whole question of, um, you know, sort of, I guess, the mental illness, the fragility and so on. And, and I really feel, particularly for our young people at the moment, and, um, you know, I see them, you know, in, in my work, that, uh, that, that um, yeah, just don't have the ability or just never been exposed to, to asking some of these deeper questions. But I think certainly help. You know, obviously some mental illness, you know, it's, you know, we, 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 they're mysterious and we don't really know. But to, to ask these questions, I think it's certainly not going to harm. Indeed. And in a related sense, um, so we, we live in a liberal democracy in Australia and, you know, my, my view... The lottery of life is being born into a liberal democracy, a free, a free society. It's it's an incredible. It, it really is an incredible gift, and because uh, you know, in this day and age, we look at authoritarian regimes and and the, you know corruption of some regimes, and where the state trumps all other interests, particularly interests of the individual, and um, you know you see the the outcomes that are at a human level of those societies. So we, we are lucky. Menzies thought that a liberal education was fundamental to a functioning democracy. Um, he had, a, I think, somewhat of an elitist view of it, that the, those who were educated in the university in a liberal education would would be part of this, this uh, elite group who could be leaders and, and understand the sort of deeper questions. But... Can you tell me how a liberal education enhances a democracy and that sort of the role of tertiary education in a democracy? Because I don't think we think, I, don't, I think people don't necessarily think that it matters. I, I think I think there'd be some people would say, well, it wouldn't matter if there were, you know, if a politician or a or a public figure has not had an an education beyond just sort of the you know basic reading, writing, arithmetic. <laughs> Well, if I gave you my uh, really honest answer to this question, I would say that you, you'd automatically be disqualified from Parliament if you hadn't done a liberal arts degree at Campion College. <laughs> but uh, That is a bit of self-interest <laughs> there, Paul. <laughs> yeah, a bit of self-interest, but also I think there's some truth to it. But, um, look, I think they're deeply – and this is where I think Menzies is uh, spot on, and, and you're right, maybe it's that slightly elitist um, understanding, but – and of course, challenges the Dawkins the and Gillard yeah. d- challenges those yeah. Dawkins Gillard reforms, which are really Absolutely. you know so called yeah. democratizing universities. But then yeah. making and, and it probably goes back. 
Yeah, and I think this is where, again, I suppose if we talk about it in the broader sense of, you know, education right through, because I think that's important. So they, in some ways they can be separated. But just on, a, on a, in the basic principle of it. So if we look at the word liberal, liberal is is obviously connected to the to the word um, to be liberated, and uh, and the whole notion of freedom. So democracy is is really about freedom. Yeah. You know the freedom of 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 a group of people together to decide how they wish to be to be governed. You know within a certain system, and so liberal democracy, as you as you very. <laughs> And uh, rightly point out is is a is a good system. You know, you compare it to the others, or the least worst system. But it's very, you know, it's a great, you know, and we are blessed to be living in a, a place like Australia. But it's um, but it's not by accident. So it's a, you know, to be uh, to have a liberal education educates it's in the proper sense of freedom. I think mm. in its in its most classical sense, and I think that's really important. So it's not liberation for its own sake. Because if it's liberation untethered from anything, if it's just freedom just so I can do whatever I like, that's just adolescent freedom. That's just, okay, when I'm 18, I can do what I like. And that, that's a true sense of freedom. It's a sure. real and objective sense of freedom. But it's, it's, a, it's one that has a lot of poverty associated with it and a lot of – it's not the richest, fullest sense of freedom. The freedom must be connected to responsibility, must yeah. be connected to truth, really, must be connected to, to the good, the noble – the virtuous, and a liberal education asks the questions about, okay, first, to be liberally educated, I need the tools in order to think. So I need the grammar. I need the logic. I need the rhetoric. I need the mathematics, the science, the history. I need those tools, but what are they for? So a liberal education says, this is what they're for. This is what excellence looks like. This is what nobility looks like. This is what goodness looks like. And it's not to be necessarily completely prescriptive about that, but it's to say, okay, why is why is um, a liberal democracy, why is democracy good? It's to really ask those questions. Um, it's to ask, well, what sort of citizenry is a good citizenry for a democracy? Um, what does it mean to, to lead a good life? Why should a democracy encourage a good life rather than a bad life? <laughs> These are big questions that, you know, I think a, a liberally educated person would be, honestly, fully able to answer, but at least be aware of the questions and have some tools to answer them. So, and this is where I think Menzies is spot on that um, that a liberal education is crucial to liberal democracy because otherwise, and this is I think this is a problem of the West at the moment, is that we're so fragmented mm. that there's just no notion of really what a what good is. It's so partisan, probably less so in Australia, but if you look at some places, it's very partisan. And so if there's no shared notion of the good or no shared notion of what an educated person is or no shared notion of anything, then it's very hard to have a, a functioning system and, and, there, and there, there can be some risk. And I think, you know, we, we haven't got time to go into this today, but that whole question of social media and, and all that, I mean, people use social media in a way that suggests to me that we do need a liberal education <laughs> and, and a renaissance in it because it's just shouting at each other without a lot of reasonability, without a lot of shared notions of good. And, um, and um, so, so I think, you know, I think it's crucial to a democracy. 
It sounds like Jack Dorsey, he's the founder of Twitter, he, he needed to take a leaf out of Steve Jobs' book perhaps when he was creating Twitter. Um, Completely agree. <laughs> look, Paul, there's, a, there's a, a lovely quote here from Menzies I wanted to read out um, that, that absolutely speaks to what you've just said. He, he said, um, without minds that were informed, toughened by exercise, broadened by inquiry and fearless in pursuit of the truth, they could never hope to have spirits untrammeled by blood blinding ignorance or distorting prejudice. Freedom would never be gained without discipline, which was based on an intelligent understanding of the fact that order and unity were essential if the liberty of the individual was to be reconciled with the rights of other individuals. And, uh, I, you know, there's a lot in that to um, to unpack, but yeah. it, I think well, really... Well, that that's beautifully really encompasses that. Yeah. I wanted to finish our conversation today, Paul, by asking you about something that um, Professor Greg Melush of the University of Wollongong, who's uh, a friend of the Robert Menzies Institute and has uh, participated in our conference last year, he, he argued that Menzies saw universities as something amounting to the new new church. Uh, and, you know, given the development of liberal education and its connection to Christianity and Judaism, there's definitely something in that. Do you think that and given the previous things we've discussed, do you think universities are more important than ever in a in a, an increasingly sec- secularised world? Yes, I think so. I mean, it, it, just to mention Professor Malouche, he's actually on our academic board, so oh, he's good. a good friend of both of us. <laughs> great. So he's, he's great. So, yeah. great. Um, so I think universities, this is one of the, I think one of the, key issues of today for democracy in the West, but even, say, in Australia, is the fact that a lot of the institutions that supported democracy and, in a sense, helped us to share a, a vision of the good have, have dissolved and have become far less an influence, and including the universities have got bigger, but in some ways I think their influence is sort of in some ways waned a bit. There's a sort of natural suspicion of universities some, for some people. Um, of course, they'd teach that in a university. They've got no connection to the world or, you know, what's this crazy idea now coming out of the university? <laughs> there's, not a, there's a lot of trust issues. And that, this, this is across a lot of, um, you know, I think it's what was Burke's, uh, there's a little platoons in society that are needed for a functioning democracy. You need, you need the church. You need... Um, strong civic institution, you know, a strong scouting movement or, a, you know, the, the Rotary Clubs. You, you need good political parties and all of that. And people don't join those things anymore or they're suspicious of them. Yeah. And so we've become far more atomised as a society, far more individualistic mm. and far less tethered to things that would have a shared notion of the good. So the churches have waned, the influences of churches have waned. There's lots of different reasons for this, but I think the society's become more and more individualised, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a fruit of the Enlightenment, but I think we've gone too far the other way. Yeah. And there's a, there's the, the little platoons have gone. And I think there's a shared idea of the nation still, and we still see that with, you know, our shared, particularly in Australia, for sport and, and things like that, and, you know, Anzac Day still and things like that. We have that shared notion, maybe a little bit with our states, Still, clear after COVID. Yes, uh, but particularly in WA. Apart from that, <laughs> yeah, apart from that, there's not a lot of shared um, 
values or shared institutions. So these little platoons that is, I think are so vital have gone away. And I think Menzies seeing the, the universities in some ways as a new church was very idealistic, but I think it's a bit like that to say that, okay, we need these educational institutions to provide that shared notion of the good. Not to say that we all have to share exactly the same notion, but the good, for example, of you know free expression or the good of uh, being able to have a, a, a debate with honesty, um, the good of the dignity of the human person. These things, you know, we've we've lost, I think, and um, and so I think um, uh, this this notion of Menzies has a certain truth to it, but I I don't see the universities at the moment as certainly fulfilling that role. Mm. And and one thing I probably haven't mentioned so much, but one of the problems in Australia, I think, for our higher education system, is it's too much the same. Mm. That you know, ninety percent of our higher education students go to the same university, basically. Um, so it's, you know, they're all, you know, they're all regulated the same. They all have the same degrees. They're more or less the same administrators. They're all public. And I think that we lack that diversity that, um, but anyway, that's probably getting off topic, but I think that, you know, to see these big monolith, almost mini cities as churches, I think we're a far, far cry from that, but I, I appreciate the sentiment. I think it's a, it's a, it's a good one. Oh, that's a really interesting note to to end on, Paul, because it, it of course, presents another podcast. <laughs> uh, the diversity of our tertiary education sector and, you know, looking, say, to our friends in the United States where they do have a much less regulated and, and diverse higher education sector, I mean, there'd be a lot, a lot in the history of how universities developed in Australia. We're a smaller, smaller country than the United States, Britain, so we have a smaller market. But, um, yeah, I look forward to that conversation next, Paul. Thank you so much for joining. I'd be happy to come back. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me on the Afternoon Light podcast of the Robert Menzies Institute. It's been an absolute pleasure, Paul, to have you on. Absolute pleasure for me too. Thanks, Georgina. The Afternoon Light podcast is brought to you by the Robert Menzies Institute at the University of Melbourne. You can find more about the Institute and our podcast at robertmenziesinstitute.org.au. We're also on Twitter, on Facebook and LinkedIn. We look forward to you joining our show next week. Thank you.